Welcome to Creative Distillation, where we distill academic research on entrepreneurship into actionable insights, all while enjoying a tasty beverage here in Boulder, Colorado. Uh, my name is Jeff York. I'm the research director at the Deming Center for Entrepreneurship at the Leeds School of Business at the University of Colorado Boulder, and I'm here with my co-host. I'm Brad Warner. I'm the faculty director for entrepreneurship at the Leeds School of Business at the University of Colorado. And don't forget the Boulder at the end. That's right. As much as we love our colleagues in the university system, we want to make sure you know we're at the University of Colorado at Boulder. Anyway. And actually, we're at Asher Brewing in Boulder. And uh, in particular, Asher Brewing stands out amongst many of the breweries here in the Front Range of Colorado in that they are an organic brewery. And so I thought that would be a particularly apropos setting for today's discussion as we're going to be talking about research on Entrepreneurship for Sustainable Development, as the title of one of our papers puts it this week. I feel like last time we were together, Brad, I did not do as much justice as I could have to the paper in distilling it into actionable insights, as is our goal here on Creative Distillation. So I'm redoubling my efforts. Uh, the exciting uh, part is, is is tying in the organic component of the brewery that we're at today yeah, yeah. with also... Organic's a hot topic around the country, not only in, yeah, in sure. rural areas, uh, city areas, and I think yeah. that we can break this down and uh, shed some light and hopefully identify some tools that entrepreneurs can use uh, coming out of the paper that we're going to discuss, most importantly, after our tasting. Yeah, yeah, most importantly, after the tasting. So uh, let's get to it and uh, try some of this beer and find out what Asher Brewing's all about. Perfect. Today we have uh, Abigail and Ptolemy Camille. Mm-hmm. All right. I got it right. Uh, <laughs> Abigail is the general manager here at Asher Brewing. has been involved in the brewing industry for about six years. And uh, we're going to be tasting some of their uh, some of their concoctions here. So, Abigail, what are we uh, what are we about to taste here? So, this first one is going to be our Green Lantern Kolsch. Awesome. Uh, Kolsch is a traditional oh. German-styled beer. Nice. Cheers. Uh, like crisp. Oh, cheers. Cheers. So, I wanted to bring this one out because it is the most recent beer that we've started canning. Okay. Okay. Is it all canning here, or is it bottling it is as well? Just canning. We purchased our own canning line a few years ago. Uh, we finally do own it. It's from Wild Goose Canning, so a local canning company. Oh, great! Awesome. And we can this: our Green Lantern Kolsch, our Tree Hugger Amber, and our Green Bullet IPA. Nice. So I like this one. It's a super easy drinker. It's definitely a crowd pleaser. Oh, yeah. You can nice see this could be an afternoon <laughs> beer, right? Yeah, nice yeah. afternoon beer. Yeah, super um, clean. Really nice flavor. Uh, a little bit like almost a corny kind of flavor with the Kolsch's a lot of times. So. Yeah, yeah. That, that crisp body, we uh, don't log or anything. So this is kind of oh, really? our um, our way of providing a light, crisp beer right, while sure. still um, brewing 100% ales. Yeah, but you're using like a lager yeast in this, right? No, it's, no we use really? only ale. Yeah, okay. we have one strain of yeast for all of our beers. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So we That's keep really cool. it pretty classic styles of beer. Nice. Is, is, is that because of your organic bent here? I, Jeff and I mentioned mm-hmm. the organic focus of the brewery, and it okay. actually aligns with what we're going to be talking about today. Wonderful. Can you maybe speak to the organic component um, and how that works within your organization? Absolutely. So organic has been in important to us from the beginning. We opened uh, just a little bit over 10 years ago, and within that first year, we had our organic certification. As far as yeast goes, and getting that organic certification, keeping um, the same supplier 
and the same strains is a lot easier so that um, our equipment doesn't ever get cross-contaminated and we can keep that flow going of certified organic beer. Mm -hmm. We have actually been using the same strain from the same supplier, yeast, the entire 10 years. Wow. Um, So it's done us very well. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. Well, good. So is organic to you a marketing, I wouldn't, I want to say ploy, but a, a way gimmick? to, it's not a gimmick, <laughs> no. but, but, but I'm saying certified organic and organic practices can be do different things. Sure. I mean, certified organic, uh, there are it. regulations involved and all that we're going to talk yeah, about yeah, a little bit. Much higher bar. How, yeah. how, how does that bar though affect business? I mean, you have to compete price wise with the, the regular breweries that aren't organic. Absolutely. How do you, how do you play into that? Yeah. So uh, it started off predominantly as an ingredient focus. Uh, Better ingredients makes better beer. It's better for you. Um, A better excuse to drink beer. (laughs) If you call it organic, it's good for you, right? There's tons of pesticides (laughs) involved in hops. Yes, yes. Um, Hops and grain um, that translate very easily into the consumption of that product. Sure. And so it started off as that and it did become something extremely unique to us. Mm -hmm. We are still the only certified organic brewery in the state of Colorado. They are popping up nationally, uh, but still definitely not a huge focus of the brewing world that is in part due to accessibility of certified organic ingredients it is becoming way more popular way more suppliers are branching into that and are customers demanding this now they're starting to Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. a lot of breweries use some organic ingredients but then again the standards of the organic certification which you mentioned going into later Mm -hmm. um, it does have to be pretty strict um, you have to stick to certain things right. um and going through that certification project process is is a lot yeah it's, i mean it's an arduous expense especially mm-hmm. for a young company but you were saying they they did it within the first year starting the brewery that's impressive yes yeah, yeah i do believe it was within that first year that we got that organic certification so we've had it now for nine years and just a little bit of change and we've wow. been open for 10 awesome once you have the certification, is it a, a grueling process to recertify, or is it uh, pretty uh, straightforward? We've got we've got a system down, <laughs> but you do go through um, the initial audit, the um, in person review, and then the final audit once a year. Mm-hmm. So every single year, it is that function. We have most of our suppliers have remained at least somewhat consistent because we're getting that organic product, and there's not as much on right. the market I see. but it it it's it's a process now yeah. does that um does that bring any constraints to your supply chain like do you guys ever have trouble getting ingredients for a certain style you want to brew because you, you have to stick with these organic suppliers or, or uh, i mean most breweries would stick with the same suppliers anyway for consistency yeah, so. yeah and um contracts are becoming way more common in the brewing world yeah, sure. these days especially with hops and yeah. hop availability getting certain types of hops on contracts so that you're guaranteed to be able to brew certain types of beer right right and so really the only time that it becomes a little bit tricky is ordering a specialty malt so right um, that's what i was kind of thinking about right into our oatmeal stuff yes let's oh, let's <laughs> do that that's this one and so we um purchase nice. a specialty mm, malt for great. this once yeah. a year and so making sure this is organic is really oh. so this is your holiday brew in a sense Cheers. this is our christmas Cheers slash holiday slash kind of winter winter brew oh it is man it's got like a really nice like kind of almost coffee-ish 
Overtime? What a great winter companion. <laughs> yeah, it's right. great. So this is our Maceo Barker Oatmeal Stout. <laughs> Did you name it? <laughs> I I didn't. Our wonderful brewer, Chris Asher, is a huge fan of funk and yeah. blues and jazz. So you know Maceo about Maceo Barker, right? I have no idea. <laughs> I, I don't tell who it is, <laughs> but I'm going to look so, it up. So He's a, he's a, he was a uh, communist activist, Brad. Uh, Seriously? No. <laughs> I have no idea. Well, maybe. I don't know. Amicio uh, Parker. Is, oh, wait, no. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. great uh, jazz musician. Yeah. Uh, okay. And so, the play on this is that our original brew dog was named Maceo. So, the uh, Maceo Barker. So, yeah. a little bit of funk and jazz. Oh, nice and I thought you mispronounced the name when you said oh, Maceo no. Barker. Like, oh. So, then Maceo, yeah, yeah. it's kind of, you now, know, he, paying really homage famous, to him uh, as well. He played the James Brown band, and uh, so you can hear many James Brown. Maceo! Ah! <laughs> you can, uh, All right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I need to clearly drink more. I have homework. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, man. Great musician. I've got two James Brown Christmas albums I can share with okay. you. Okay, I love that. Yeah, Go so ahead. good dog. Good, good guy. Awesome. Um, all around. We use uh, 50 pounds of organic oats in this to mm. add that nice fluffy texture. Uh, so, yeah, that is yeah. great. Yeah, absolutely wonderful. And then we'll bring out this last oh one. Oh my gosh. This is <laughs> a tasting. Right, we're saving these for the rest and of the this. podcast. Yep. <laughs> all right. All right. And so this is, I wanted to bring it out. It's our double IPA, our oh Greenade double IPA. Awesome. So it's a little higher in alcohol. It is the first beer that was ever brewed here and we still have it around. Really? So... Is this always on tap here, then? It is always on tap. It's one of our four flagships. Oh, nice. And it is incredibly smooth for uh, I'm sorry for I'm, like, nerding out and sniffing no, your I'm, like, a, I'm a BJCP <laughs> judge, so I get all, like, you have to, like, smell the beer first and note all the aromas of it. I just do this for anything. I won't judge just because I'd rather yeah. just drink. <laughs> yeah, well, of course. Yeah, so. no, the judges don't like drinking, you generally. It's, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I hope I hope they like to drink. Yeah, <laughs> it's gotta be a it. miserable job, wouldn't it? Like, so hey, why don't you be an academic? And, yeah. and, and you don't like to write. Is this your number one seller at the uh, brewery here at the tap room? If this is a very popular seller. Our number one is our Green Bullet IPA. You can find mm. that in cans in the tap room. It's it's around town on tap two. I I personally like this Greenade because it packs a little bit yeah. of a punch. Right. Yeah. <laughs> super super citrusy, mm -hmm. uh, lemony, orange kind of hop flavors. Mm -hmm. Uh, really clean on the back end. It's just like a crisp, you know, done. Wonderful, yeah. So how would you judge a beer, Jeff? Oh, uh, man, I haven't judged a beer in a long time. <laughs> I had kids, so I stopped being a beer judge a while back, but I used to uh, I used to do it a bit. Uh, I mean, this is really good, you know? I mean, when you judge them, you're comparing a lot of times That's around. Right. So you do a round and you're ranking them, kind of like what we do with our students sometimes. But, <laughs> but um, anyway, uh, I... I'd give it very high marks. It's it's wonderful. I actually think these are three of them are they taste great. Yeah, they're all very right. very different. And he's not a big beer drinker. Yeah, either, so. I mean I really I I um, am attracted to bourbon more, but uh, it's a really not good a beer. Bad thing to be attracted yeah. to. <laughs> <laughs> but I do love a great beer. Before you head out today, this we do fantastic. have a super limited edition release on right now. Okay. Um, it is um a ginger beer, so Ooh. it's a light amber that we steep fresh ginger root, and we mm. rested it in a whiskey barrel for wow. over. Over two years. That sounds awesome. Um, really I left great. that out of this spread because it's very high alcohol. Yeah, that's probably a good <laughs> idea. We like, got work to do. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to run over there. We usually celebrate making it through the podcast by, yeah. get, by purchasing large amounts of, where, of whatever, <laughs> of whatever the beverage is where we are. Um, <laughs> certainly what we did last time. But, um, oh, good. So if but, someone's, yeah. someone listening to this podcast that wants to try some of these amazing beers, how do they find you? Sure. So I would say... 
the best stop first stop is always here you can get all eight of our beers we sell our cans here it's an easy stop we fill growlers you can bring your own you can buy one here otherwise we do have a list on our website of some of the places we are off-site and what's your, what is your website asherbrewing.com and so those have both on and off-premise listings oh great mm-hmm. is, uh, can you find asher beyond colorado no, we are Colorado specific. Uh, we don't necessarily intend to go outside of Colorado. We like keeping it local. Oh, we're happy cool. that you're local. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's uh, that's why we like to talk to the local businesses. And man, this is delicious. I, I gotta say, like I I came to this brewery uh, right when I moved here about ten years ago, and I don't remember this beer. But these beers, I don't know. I I, I remember thinking, yeah, these are good beers. Uh, but these beers are quite exceptional. They're really nice. Uh, so I don't know. <laughs> I guess maybe nothing changed except for I got older. I don't know. But these um, beers are fantastic. After 10 years, we definitely, we're you in you a routine now. In, yeah. <laughs> no, I, yeah. I came here literally like within months of your opening, I'm pretty sure. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. And I've been back since, little... of course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so this is, uh, it's wonderful. I mean, it's love to see local businesses thrive and succeed. So, uh, so go get some Asher Brewing products. Uh, that's right. And I also noticed you have some art. Uh, is that local artists on the wall that's for sale? Or? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. All around our brewery, we have some art. Uh, hung up by friends of the brewery That's and you can cool. purchase it here and the money goes right to that artist that is yeah. fantastic so definitely come out here to the tap room it's got a great atmosphere uh it's really i'm just looking at some of the light fixtures in here pretty cool too <laughs> anyway it's a really neat place you should come out check it out yep thanks so much thank, thank you, you thank you for having we us. really appreciate you be having us and uh oh, and for talking to us and, well, yeah. and we really appreciate the beer samples yeah. <laughs> these Absolutely. are fantastic we will not yeah. be strangers yeah, yeah, yeah stop yeah. by on your way out we will awesome thanks so much thank you thanks All right, so uh, that was awesome. Really interesting getting a perspective on uh, organic in the brewing industry. Because, I mean, as Abigail pointed out, there's not that many organic breweries, but sustainability is a huge thing in breweries. Uh, lots of consideration of the sustainable footprint. Of course, there's a New Belgium Brewing Company up in Fort right. Collins, just up the road from here. Uh, it's, it's an interesting aspect. So, so which beer is your favorite, Brad? Um, actually, I like all three. I'm. Uh, oh, come on. Uh, I actually, I, I really do. I, I, I would drink them all, and maybe that just says something about me. <laughs> I, I, I think, uh, I think I like the double IPA myself. It's, uh, it's got a lot, really nice lemony, zingy. Hot flavor. I mean, you know, we live in Colorado. It's a plethora of IPAs here. And, That's uh, right. You let me nerd out about beer, I'll just keep going on and That's on. Right. But I guess we should get to the research for the uh, the episode. So uh, we wanted to come here today to Asher, and I pointed out to Brad, I'm wearing my uh, Patagonia recycled wool, organic recycled wool shirt in tribute to this episode. <laughs> Anyway, uh, we wanted to talk about this, uh, the broad concept of entrepreneurship uh, and sustainability. And sustainability, uh, obviously being a term that's kind of slippery, still a little difficult to define. Uh, so we're going to let uh, the authors of the first paper, we're going to try to do two this week. We'll see how it goes. Uh, we've got the paper, again, I, I don't know why I've picked these literature review papers, Brad, other than they just did happen to come out and I thought they were interesting. And this is actually in press at uh, Entrepreneurship Theory and Practice. It's not published yet. And let me uh, stop you for one oh, second, sure, Jeff. And, and the audience needs to know that you are actually an expert in sustainability. Uh, you may not agree with that. Sure, I'll take it. But, uh, but your focus in, in research has been sustainability, uh, yeah. sustainable practices, and certainly in the classroom, yeah. um, you, you have a big push towards sustainability. So I'm really honored to be able to talk about this oh, with you you're today. you're always way too kind hey, to me on this thing. Well, uh, then we turn the microphones off and then I put my regular personality back. <laughs> 
but but no no seriously i think it, i think it's great to have an expert like you because there is confusion about what is organic what does organic mean is yeah. organic certified organic actually better for me yeah um is it better for the environment yeah and do certified organic practices are they actual sustainable practices or is it is it something oh, that's created it's tough i mean like answering all those questions uh the answer would be it depends it depends it depends <laughs> uh you know we don't we don't know a lot about what the long-term effects of many of these practices that are labeled as sustainable is because i mean they're new and they're new innovations new technologies uh, we'll be talking about a second paper that is about the the creation of organic standards particularly in california but um, you know these are these are tough questions to answer, and there's you know a handful of people around the world um, that study that, um, that try to understand, uh, particularly in the realm of entrepreneurship. Now there's of course a broader uh, a broader literature on corporate sustainability, and um, for folks that are interested in that, I would point you towards the Alliance for Research on Corporate Sustainability, the ARCS uh, organization. It's a pretty amazing organization which uh, the lead school is a part of, of business schools that really look at the cutting edge research in the top journals on corporate sustainability. But we don't care about that. We want to talk about entrepreneurship instead. I mean, That's we do right. care about it. Don't get me wrong. But but we're really focused on entrepreneurship and sustainability. So if you take like, if we think about business school academics, right? Sure. Let's think about them as a population. And we say, how many of those folks are actually interested in sustainability as social and environmental outcomes of, of, of action? I would guess it's less than 3%. Not to say these other people don't care, but I mean, like, actually research that? Sure, but let's compare that, though, with the students that have come through our classrooms. Oh, well, yeah, sure. And you and I have seen thousands of people walk through the doors. Absolutely. And I would say 90% of them, at least in my right. case, or close, sure. are close, are really concerned about sustainability right. and are looking to integrate sustainability into their new ventures. Almost universally, uh, especially here. I mean, I think uh, I think here at the Leeds School, um, we got a lot of students that self-select to come here when they could have gone to other arguably um, more highly ranked MBA programs or whatever that's worth. But I mean, honestly, I've had people that have come here who were accepted to places like Stanford and Duke, and, and I'm always a little surprised. I'm like, you know, well, okay, if I was your dad, though, I'd be like, hey, you need to go to Stanford. And I would just say, look out the window. Uh, yeah, well, there's that. But but they, they do come here. It's not just because they want to go skiing, although that, that's an awesome reason to come. But it's, it's because they really understand that or uh, Boulder – and, and the lead school has a long history of, of working in, in, in particularly in the organic and naturals industry, but also in renewable energy and the other specific industries that, uh, as well as tech, uh, all sorts of uh, tech startups happening here in Boulder. Yep. Um, that's a more recent thing, you know. I mean, organics really kind of got started here to a large extent with the founding of Celestial Seasonings back in the 70s. And, you know, here we see it today with Asher Brewing, where we're, where we're right. sitting today. So when you think of organic, yeah. does it actually parallel sustainability in your mind? Uh, parallel? I mean, sure. I mean, aligned with, um, related to, Clearly, uh, one of the better mechanisms we know of, of reducing the environmental impact of agriculture. Absolutely. Um, where it gets a little trickier is when you start talking about the health benefits. That's right. Uh, and, you know, the peer-reviewed research is not um, conclusive about whether there is actually any health benefit to eating organic. Now, personally, I'll just talk for myself. 
I try not to take a lot of medications and over-the-counter drugs. Like, you know, if I've got a cold, I'm like, oh, I think I'll tough it out. I mean, you, th- you see things like uh, now it's just finding out that Zantac causes cancer, for example. And I'm, I'm not trying to go out on a limb and say non-organic food causes cancer or anything like that. That's right. But, I mean, this is something that people have to make their own decisions about. Now, clearly, the actual uh, footprint as far as pesticide usage and runoff and water contamination, things like that, is better for organic. But there's a really interesting paper, I believe it was in uh, Nature Climate Change just last month, if I'm not mistaken, that showed if the UK, uh, particularly actually if England and Wales converted to organic, the carbon footprint would be at best neutral and probably actually negative. And what I mean by that is there would actually be more right. carbon emissions than there would be otherwise because the production that would would have to have happened in the UK would be pushed to other land masses where they'd be developed and you would actually have more carbon emissions due to agriculture. So the yield of organic is something folks struggle with, but I think it's actually gone beyond that now. People are now talking more about regenerative agriculture. uh, And that's the idea of how do you do agriculture in a way where you're actually sequestering carbon. Interesting. And that's um, actually sort of the, the, the cutting edge of what we talk about in our classes here and uh, what the organics and naturals industry is really moving towards. But, you know, are we at a place where that is actually a large-scale adoption? No, not necessarily. But neither was organic. That's right. You start, ten, even you, even 10 years ago, but but certainly 20 years ago. Well, we, we start with small steps. Yeah, I mean. And entrepreneurs, though, are focused on this well, issue. And, and doing a little bit of background research for today's discussion, looking into organics, because of the barriers to entry, it is more expensive to to get going, that corporate farming is a big player in the organic industry, and that environmental footprint is pretty much the same as if they weren't going for organic. Uh, Yeah, I mean, that's arguable. I mean, there's research on both sides. Let's talk about how they got there, though. I'd love to. And that's that's kind of what this paper is about, in a way. The first paper we're going to do, uh, Entrepreneurship for Sustainable Development, a Review and Multi-Level Causal Mechanism Framework. Now, what does that title do for you, Brad? Does that just draw you right in? Right into another beer. (laughs) Well, uh, so here we go with the the distillation uh, aspect, since we're not at a distillery. I guess this would be the fermentation aspect. We'll do that later, though. So this paper is by uh, Matthew P. Johnson and Stefan Schultiger. Stefan is uh, actually a faculty member at the Center for Sustainability Management at Lufana University in Lunenburg, Germany, which I highly recommend visiting. I went and visited him there once. It's a beautiful place, just a lovely town. And Matthew was his doctoral student, and he graduated, I think, about two years ago, maybe, maybe just a year ago. And he's on the Faculty of Business, Economics, and Social Science at the University of Amberg, Germany. Okay. Uh, so, so Stefan is really one of the leading thinkers and one of the founders of even talking about environmental sustainability and entrepreneurship. He's been doing this for longer than just about anyone uh, and is a really brilliant guy. And 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 Matthew, or I guess I should say Matt, that's what he goes by, uh, is also a really bright young talent in the field. So I was very excited to see this paper come out. And I was excited about that because there's a growing literature on this idea, academic literature, on this idea of sustainability, uh, particularly environmental sustainability, and entrepreneurship. And, and the basic idea is, hey, maybe entrepreneurs can create things like the organic farming practice that eventually gets adopted at a large scale, like you were just talking about, Brad. And maybe we need that, uh, you know, it's kind of building from Joseph Schumpeter's classic ideas, where we take the title of this podcast, of creative destruction. We need the entrepreneurs to go out and create these new industries 
go out and do these things. And when they do so, they will supplant the less socially and economically efficient companies yep. and we'll have a wave of new companies. And we, and we see that happen all the time. This is how industries emerge. Here's the problem, though. <laughs> so these guys did a review of 161 papers. They broke that down from, I think, literally, yeah, literally thousands of articles and just went down and had some criteria to get more. You know, I mean, imagine that. Like, imagine, <laughs> imagine like, reading uh, 161 of these things much less uh, now 4,269, uh, well, I think I started. There, there's a reason these guys are based in Germany because the <laughs> brewing there is also very, very good. And to go through 4,000 of these, I'm telling you, I don't know if there's enough beer in Germany. I bet there is, actually. Yeah. Um, but we, <laughs> uh, but in, he, in any event, so they went through all that and, and they went through it with a very specific goal. And, uh, and they talk about. In an academic way, uh, they talk about and they say, here's what they tell, call the research question in this project. Okay. Which causal mechanisms are articulated in the environmental envir entrepreneurship for sustainable development literature that link macro, meso, and micro-level processes pertaining to entrepreneurship for sustainable development? Now, that's the way we have to frame the question. Okay, what the hell did you yeah, just okay, say? So, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and so here, here's the deal. I think what you could reframe that is, how do we help individuals entrepreneurs that want to, as we've talked about many of our students, want to make a difference and address the massive environmental and social issues we face uh, as, a, as a global society. How do we help them make a difference? I, that's why we're here. Yeah. That's why we're here. And that's what that question really means. Because what they're saying is, look, what they mean by causal mechanism is just the relationship between two things that happen. How do we understand the relationship between an individual spotting an opportunity to say, I'm going to create an organic brewery, then to move that up to uh, the meso or the organizational or community level, yes. uh, create an organization, be part of a community, push others towards uh, more responsible practices. And then how do we get that to the macro level, which generally means you know nations, societies, That's institutions. Right. So they're saying, what is the causal chain that links from that individual saying, I'm going to do this thing all the way up to actually seeing real change and the improvement of sustainability goals. So that totally makes sense to me. What I'm hoping is that wasn't the last sentence of the paper. So I, it, pardon me, that's the uh, the first sentence of the good. well, not the first. It's the I can't count this many sentences, but but it's the generally the research question in any academic paper is going to come right around the top of the third paragraph into <laughs> the second paragraph. Okay, thanks. And what we're looking for, though, at least in my my angle, yeah. is. Are there suggestions in these academic papers yes. that we can actually translate yes. and say this would be actually of practical use to someone that yeah. wants to make a difference? Yeah, and, 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 and the thing is, they would, they would have a hard time drawing that out of this paper because they get to that research question. And this is no slam on, on Matt and Stefan. No. This is the way we write. And, and they're not writing for that audience necessarily, although I know they both care deeply about this, this issue and, and do a lot of wonderful teaching and working with people there totally doing agree. things. It's just how do you take that, and that's sort of the point of what we're doing here, like trying to trying to take these things and distill them down. And I like this paper a lot. I, I like it because it's a very careful review of this literature. And the sort of the problem with this literature, and my own work included, it tends to be about how do these things emerge? How did we come to have organic breweries? Okay. How did we come to have renewable energy? That's interesting. 
it's not really useful if you're a student or an entrepreneur sitting in the classroom. It's like, okay, that's how this right. came to... It's like if a history I'm, lesson. If right? I'm studying the history of sustainability, yeah. I care. Yeah. If I'm actually trying to, to make a difference in the world yeah. and, and start my business right. and make a difference, are there three takeaways that you that you could come up with in this paper? There's two. Okay, two is good. <laughs> um, so I'm really anxious One to see. is good, right? Well, yeah. One is amazing. Yeah, yeah, well, two okay. is... I, I, they're actually interrelated. So there, okay. it, is, it is technically one. And I'll just say, like, I've been teaching sustainable venturing a class about environmental entrepreneurship and social entrepreneurship for like 10 years. And we need more work like this. I do a lot of this. I think at the end of the day that what's needed, and we've talked about this before, is for somebody to write uh, the green startup. Uh, if you're out there, don't steal my idea. Well, actually, you can steal my idea. If you execute on it, great, good for you. Um, I don't think it's a particularly original idea, but we need like uh, a version of the lean startup for environmental and social entrepreneurs. Like, here's how to do this, right? Here's some frameworks. Here's some easy ways. We don't have that. And that's why uh, Matt and Stefan are really doing us a service by this paper. So, well, we could so, write a book together, too, and well, we, we could do we, it ourselves. We could do that, yes. yes. Uh, so if you're a book publisher out there and you're just looking uh, for to pick up some, some wonderfully insightful uh, creative distillation, the book. That's right. <laughs> anyway, back to the paper. So, uh, insights. So here's the deal. Uh there's two interrelated insights, and I think they're really powerful because they come from these guys going through all these papers and then creating a framework about these multiple levels and then how action works. The first one is if you're going to move from the individual level, like I'm going to do my startup, right? And I'm going to do everything in a really responsible manner, and I'm going to like try to create an environmentally beneficial product. That's a wonderful thing. There's nothing wrong with that. And if you can find a market and, and get that going and economically sustain yourself, I think that's great. Now, we see a lot of things like that in our classes. Most of the people that do that want to move beyond, right? That's right, 100%. Their goal is not just to create their own little startup and, and do that. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not their goal. They want Correct. to have a bigger impact. What Matt and Stefan highlight is, okay, if you're going to move from that, what they call the micro level, to the community, industry, organizational meso level, mm -hmm. you're going to have to engage in some kind of collective action. You're going to need to have some kind of a mechanism, a way to get from we're doing this thing to this thing is right and lots of us are doing it and we're going to we're going to make that just the way business is done. But isn't that actually what entrepreneurs do? Forget about sustainability for sure. one second. But in, in, in some of your earlier research about effectuation, about how entrepreneurs look to, in a sense, uh, gain partners and establish partnerships as they move forward and grow. Right. Is there a difference between those yes. two thoughts? Yeah, so, so effectuation is very much a micro individual. So when we say micro, we're talking about the individual yes. or the team theory. It's about how does an individual entrepreneur think and what are the things they do to succeed? That's right. And so when they talk about stakeholders and self-selected stakeholders, the effectual model is all about what I'm doing at the venture level. What Matt and Stefan are alluding to here is moving beyond that towards, uh, say, the trade association level. And some examples in this particular realm would be things like the B Corp certification or uh, the U.S. Green Building Council that certifies green buildings sure. and then allow for the propagation. But the, if you think about it for a second, the U.S. Green Building Council can't do anything if there's not entrepreneurs creating the products 100%. and services that allow you to engage in meeting their certification. Also, a little more creatively, partnering, and this is uh, the second part of this, the second insight. So first one is you got to move into some kind of collective action at the, the industry level. 
So you're not going to be able to really make an impact by just doing your individual business. You might on a very localized level, that might be a very nice thing. But if you want to actually have impacts at that micro sort of broader environmental aspect, you're going to have to engage in some kind and of And before you action. move on from sure. that point, I do think that that actually scares many entrepreneurs. Oh, of that course. Once, you're, once you start going into this broader level and you're looking for yeah. whether it's governmental sure. support, trade association support, That's right. um, it's a dangerous part of your it life. Is. Of, of your life cycle for your company. If it's a necessary means to this greater end, is there a way though to alleviate entrepreneurs' fears or is there a, a best practices approach to doing this yeah. where you don't put yourself in the position that all of a sudden this trade organization doesn't agree with you and you're shut down? Yeah, you know, can we table that for just a minute? Sure. Because I think the second paper we're going to look at actually dives into this great, great. through a historic case study. So they don't, they don't in this paper make prescriptions of like how you should do that necessarily. Because again, they're doing a literature review and trying to, they're in a sense doing their own distilling of saying, here's the things that we found across, you know, 161 papers that we can say, hey, you know, you don't have to read 161 papers. You can just say, if I want to make an impact beyond just my own venture, I'm going to have to engage in that. And, and interrelated to that, and their second point is, you have to broaden your stakeholder engagement. And this is related to yes. the effectual model. And what they mean by that is you got to start thinking about stakeholders beyond certainly your investors. Oh. And, and, and well beyond just being a good employer and taking care of your suppliers. And start to think, well, who are potential stakeholders Beyond that, we just had a dog walk in here, so we're like looking over him. It's awesome. I love living in Boulder. Me too. Uh, I love that we're in a brewery and a dog just came in. That's great. <laughs> I almost brought my dog. Uh, but um, so, and when you do that, and, and, and the effectual model, when you, and this is why I teach, I do teach this to students, like don't think about who should be my stakeholder. Like, how can I get a meeting with Elon Musk? Like, well, you're not going to. That's right. uh, so don't worry about Elon Musk. Worry about the person who will meet with you and who's willing to give you advice and put skin in the game. And what they're saying is if you want to make a broader sustainable development impact, you need to think about a broader stakeholder engagement and particularly uh, think about engaging with uh, NGOs and activist organizations in ways that align your interest. And when you do that, uh, you might actually create opportunity for yourself to do something more. On this point, we both agree heartily. Cool. And I think that beyond what this paper is and its sustainability, I just think it's best practices. Well, in sure, right? sure. It's, it's, it's just, uh, but, but I think it's, I always talk about sustainable entrepreneurship as being like entrepreneurship on steroids a little bit, because you got to do everything regular entrepreneurs have to you do. do. You do. Like, it's not like, oh, I'm doing this sustainable thing. I'm I'm making, you know, recycled wool shirts. Therefore, nobody has to like them. And I don't That's have right. to have a good supply <laughs> chain. And I don't have to make a, a decent margin. And I don't have to manage well. Like, no. And then next week, you're going to be working at the brewery down the street. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, and your and your recycled wool shirt, like the, me. That's right. uh, but, you know, I think Patagonia is a great example of that. It's like they don't just do environmentally progressive practices. They make fantastic products and they market them exceptionally well. That's uh, right. I think Yvonne Chouinard is an amazing entrepreneur. And, and I agree with that. So, but I, I do think it can be a challenge, actually, for entrepreneurs and certainly sure. entrepreneurs starting to actually identify who these stakeholders are. Right? Yes. And so, I, so what do you tell people to do in your class? Like, to well, it's, in, in my life and starting businesses, yeah. it's all about meeting as many people as you yes. you can meet. Cast right? the, yes, cast the, the net the, wide. The, yep, it's a, don't worry about the people that don't like you or don't matter. listen. 
Take what you can from it and move on. That's right. And that's and so so taking that that individual insight that we have as teachers and saying, okay, let's let's see. The nice thing about a paper like this is because you know you and I can say that, and and our students will probably believe us because you know because where we we, stand. Can, we can be persuasive and yep. but. To me, it's like when you look at the academic research, it's more like, hey, you know, uh, next time you, you tell someone that, you can say, hey, these guys, you know, in 2020 reviewed 4,000 papers and that's found right. across those 4,000 studies, you know, and, and, and you know, that's just a quick summarization. I'm not doing, doing oh. justice to their paper. But, you know, hey, if you want to be successful in making an impact, you're going to have to think more broadly than your individual venture. You're going to have to think about how do we create a broader industry-wide impact. And I'm going to need to think more broadly about who my stakeholders are than the way normal, quote-unquote, normal companies think. Yep. And I think that's awesome. I think you're preaching to the choir here. I think that this is this is best practices for entrepreneurs. Yes. And if this, this paper points it out and gets us talking about it yeah. and people actually hearing this message yeah. i think we just did a real service to our uh listeners well, I hope in, so. in bringing this up so I, here, I think that that's here's fabulous. what's cool though like and i won't go into it but they actually break down at each of these three levels what are the specific actions you can do based on the situation based on taking action and then based on transforming institutions towards greater sustainability now we we are i'm, I'm trying to be better at distilling so okay. i'm not going to go into that but you could and I guess I could, I probably will, create a whole session of a class or a lecture about, okay, so let's look at the phase of your company and what you're trying to do. Here are some specific actions you can take. And then how, how do those link to the next level? Right. And so I think it's a really nice paper. People that are interested in trying to do that, uh, academics, uh, you know, I mean, it is a literature review. It is dense reading uh, for, for a non-academic. It's going to have a bunch of language in it that is maybe not the most interesting. But the cool thing about Matt and Stefan's paper is there's all these tables. So you don't have to read the paper. Uh, if you're not an academic and you don't want to read the paper, that's, that's fine. a hell of a plug for your friends. You don't oh, have to. Read, awesome. You don't have to read the paper. Well, Just I look mean, at the pictures. Now, if you're an academic, you should read the paper because it's great and it's going to be very well cited. But uh, page 12 and 13. Uh, well, this it'll be different page numbers when it's published, but impressed. And then page 21. There's nice little tables. So right. I mean, you know, if you're teaching a class on sustainable entrepreneurship and you're listening to this and you have no idea what you want to do, you could do worse than to start here. Yeah, it's a really and, nice and the bottom line is broaden your stakeholders. Actually, cast a wide net. I think that that was a really great way to uh, frame this. Absolutely. Um, and and then you'll find people that actually share your vision or share your vision and can actually help you. And um, and and I think that this collaboration that can come out of this can also be a, a really beneficial outcome for entrepreneurs as well. I agree. And I want to uh, very quickly talk about one more paper because at the end of this paper sure. uh, what Matt and Stefan talk about is the need by involving stakeholders environmental social so associations or social networks into venture development entrepreneurs can create business opportunities on the micro level through stakeholder support at the meso level so what they're saying is when we reach out to these stakeholders at a at a broader level we can perhaps create opportunity for themselves what they don't talk about is what our next paper talks about uh, and we've been talking a lot about organic because this paper, which is, this paper is a little older, but I thought it really nicely dovetailed with the other one. Uh, this paper is in Organization Science. It was published in uh, 2017. Uh, and it is by Brandon Lee, Sean Hyatt, and Mike Lonsbury. And these guys, uh, Brandon and Sean, both are graduates from uh, Cornell's business school, uh, PhDs there. And uh, Mike is, uh, again, one of the leading voices in, in more broadly corporate sustainability. Uh, he's been doing this for a while, similar to Stefan, really uh, a, a leader in this and back doing it before it became more popular. 
and their paper is really interesting. Uh, and the title is Market Mediators and the Trade-Offs of Legitimacy-Seeking Behaviors in a Nascent Category. Now, if our last our last title turned you off a little, Brad, I bet that one really... Uh, I still have a little beer left, so I'm yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, I have a little left, too. Take okay, it. good. Mm. Man, that oatmeal stout's good. So, um, what's interesting about this is this is a deep dive into what we were just talking about, about how it happened. And I love uh, I love this paper. Saw the, I saw this paper presented for years, and and like many creative papers, it took a while to find traction, find a home, because uh, Brandon did this, if I'm not mistaken, as part of his dissertation, where he spent a lot of time looking through historic documents and interviewing people to do a, a qualitative research. Okay. There's no statistical analysis. There's just a great story and really interesting insights derived from it. So, so here's the thing. Here, the problem they're looking at with this paper is, you know, I think if we think about sustainability, clearly we need new market categories to emerge. We need things like organic, organic beer. We need things like renewable energy. We need these categories that are not clear to most people what they are when they first come. Right, out. but I would say, and I don't mean to use this as a pun, but those categories should actually percolate organically. Yeah. Right? Founded yeah, yeah. by entrepreneurs, micro level, gains traction, and then you go for And then that. they do. And that and that's sort of the story. That's sort of what um it's the how. How do you gain the traction? Like how do you get there? And and this is sort of something we we talk about as optimal distinctiveness. Right. That's, you know, a ten dollar word. I love it's it. It's pretty I mean, I think it's something that all entrepreneurs have to do is figure right. out how do I be recognizable enough that people can get what my product is about, but be different enough where I'm valued differentially. And this is right. really a problem with an emerging category. So the, the question here uh, in uh, you know more applicable, uh, impactful, hopefully insightful way is how do founders balance this double-edged sword of trying to be distinctive enough at the same time try to gain traction for their broader industry? And so what they do is they study the California, uh, oh gosh, I knew I was going to mess up. It's the CCLF, which they say about a thousand times, California Certified Organic Farmers Association. Right. And how that turns from a period going from 1993 to 2006 from uh, a collective of individuals who cared about this into a broad certification that, of course, eventually gets sort of subsumed by the, the larger federal organic certification. And uh, it's interesting. I remember when you uh, looked at this, Brad, you, you had a specific thought, like, what happens when the government gets involved? That's right. And, and when the government gets involved, to me, it's always terrifying, right? That, <laughs> that, that's the end of everything good that's happened. And I, and, I actually, and I actually think that the government is trying to do good things, but sure, I, for, for me, a, a, a general cookie-cutter approach that yeah. works in one place normally doesn't work in another place, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, sure. And uh, and so that's actually one of the one of the kind of lessons of this paper. Uh, and so so I want to lay out the, the insight here, and I, I can't distill this into like a, a one takeaway though. Okay. But but I do think they lay out a really nice uh, a process model of how do you manage that that optimal distinctiveness. We're a bunch of guys and, and, and gals, and we've started up our organic farms in California, and we want more people to do organic farming, and we want to succeed. Well, first of all, our interests even aligned, right? Because yes. success means different things to different sure. people. So this is, even though it sounds like, wow, everybody, this makes sense. We should yeah. all go and do this. It's not that simple. Yeah, yeah. No, it never is. And, and in this paper, what they show is a process emerges. Now, with qualitative research, you're not trying to say, 
this is the way it will always be done and this is generalizable to everyone in of every course. place but you're trying to say here's a story here's some insights that emerge from it very careful analysis it's not journalism either because they're going through like every word of every record analyzing it pulling out themes it's not just saying here's what happened it's saying here's what that means and so first step in this, uh, you've got to set and verify a standard if you want this to take off. Yes. The reason you have to do that is because that defines what the category actually is and makes it where people can understand and trust in what it's doing. Second step, you've got to grow membership. And as soon as you start to grow membership, you face the double-edged sword of are we diluting what we were doing? To your point, well, do we even align on that anymore? Or does the membership get to a point where they rewrite the definition? Yes. So what do you do? This is why I love this paper. Every time I'm going to just say these steps. I'm going to just let you say what's wrong with that. <laughs> Because I'm going to show I'm this. I'm not as a I hater, could. Jeff. No, I'm no, just no. trying to find these Oh, no, 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 no. Right. I, I just mean because you haven't read the paper. Right, I have not. And I want you to, to bring like, you know, these are, this is what I would think about, yeah. right? Yep. As an entrepreneur. Okay. So yeah, exactly. So how do you, how do you do that? What you have to do to avoid that is you have to uh, professionalize. In other words, you have to have standards of what it means to be a member. And you have to frame what it means to be a member consistently. So you have to have written documents, clear charters, right. statements that you, you go... You have to like, create an infrastructure. Exactly. Almost a psychological infrastructure of this is what we're all about, right? Yeah. That's what we were doing earlier tonight. We were trying to frame the podcast, right? Mm -hmm. And we were like, well, what's the, what's the sentence going to be, right? Okay. Second thing, you have to engage downstream in the supply chain. In other words, you've got to get the people who are going to buy your products and market them to the general public to actually work with you. You've got to engage those folks. And, and that can be dangerous early on because you may be dealing with single source suppliers as you've early on gained traction. And once you start to scale, that's dangerous. So in a sense, you need to resonate your message actually downstream as well. I'm just laughing. I'm hearing this dog barking in the bar. Oh, that's, <laughs> he's worried he's, about this. He's agreeing. He's agreeing. He's yeah. agreeing with you, Brad. Yeah. He's worried. He's yeah. like, oh, be careful. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so what they say you have to do to manage that is you've got to strengthen your verification processes. Because if you're engaging with these downstream suppliers, their goal is going to be to push you to make your product cheaper, faster, better, all those things that they do. And so you've got to make sure you're keeping those verification standards, you're ratcheting them upwards even. So the, you, need, you need intellectual buy-in from right. your downstream suppliers. Which again goes back to the broader stakeholders. That's side, right. right. It, and it is expanding your stakeholders 100%. But that's actually much more difficult, especially on a small scale. Yep. It's very, very difficult. And that's why sustainable entrepreneurship is entrepreneurship on steroids. Yeah. It's, it's like trying to run a race by putting on some uh, shoes with lead weights in them. That's right. Um, I mean, I, I think it's great. And I'm obviously a supporter of it. But I always like to make my students understand, look, this is going to be hard. So, but I, I do think that there, I, just off the top of my head, I'm thinking of a couple techniques that may be effective in doing this. Sure. In, in a sense, alliances with your suppliers. Yes. Right? So Absolutely. If, if you can create this alliance and show how your business can actually help grow theirs. Absolutely. In a do no harm. And they and, might even be initial investors. That's right. Do that. That's right. Yep. That's Absolutely. Right. Okay. Third thing uh, that you're going to be most scared of. <laughs> I know where this is going. Uh, get authority from the state. Right. That scares the crap out of me. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think you can do? I mean, like they are saying, yeah, it should scare the crap out of you because as soon as the government has control of something and you vested the authority of what used to be your own private certification into the state, 
you know, you often will lose control. And you're going to lose the ability to be very innovative because now you're beholden to all sorts That's of right. governmental regulation and things like that. And tribalism is resonating so deeply in this country about yeah. What politics are and what yeah. what's right. So that to me is such yeah. a dangerous. And see, and that's the thing. Like, I mean, just as a brief sec. Uh, uh, well, okay, I'm gonna stay. I'm gonna stay on topic here. No, no, uh, I'd no, actually yeah. like to hear your so, thoughts because we can um, edit this out. Well, no, I think like I mean that's why entrepreneurship is such not just a not just an important thing for people and for companies and for the economy. I think entrepreneurship, based on my own research, gives us a way to get past that divisiveness in our country i think it's very hard to find people on the left or the right in any prominence who are opposed to people building new business products and services that are economically prosperous and have a positive environmental or social impact right it, it, it inherently hybridizes the arguments where it's hard for people to argue against it. So I, I, I would I, that's love, why I put my hope there. I would love to do that, and I don't want to be a cynic, but I'd also like to tell you that last night before I went to bed, I saw the tooth fairy running out of my room. <laughs> yeah, but this happens, man. Like I, I, mean, I, I hope so. But it's happening. I mean, it's it's not that like it's happening in such a way that we don't all have to worry. But we it, talk about scalability like, though, so it may happen yeah. on a very localized level. Yeah, but right. So but I, everything it, happens it makes me on a localized level. It, makes, it just makes well, me nervous. sure. Okay. I mean, I think you'd, you'd be foolish <laughs> to be ner- not be nervous. But I mean, I don't know what else is going to happen. Do you think that like uh, corporations are all of a sudden going to toe the line? And uh, I, I, I totally agree with you. I, I mean, mean, so the bottom line is what we, else? we have to operate in yeah. the world that's th- yeah. in this reality. Okay. So how do you manage that? They got a really simple and pragmatic uh, suggestion. You control the boards. So when they partnered with the state, they made sure that six of the 13 board members on this certification organization were members of the CCOF. Right. Now, six of 13 is not a controlling share, but considering the other board There's members were from a, a wide variety of organizations, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's not bad. You know, if you're doing a startup and you're able to do that. So that's be... been the strategy with the big boys forever. Yeah, yeah. Right? So in a sense, the, the smaller players are thinking like this. I agree. But I do think that it, it's a challenge that when you're talking about taking on the big boys and they control the boards, yeah. uh, it's it's tough. And I'm not, yeah. and once again, so that's, just, you, you got to maintain, you, you, you got to maintain your small centralized identity of the organization if you're gonna if you're gonna maintain that distinctiveness right that's right but you gotta have these steps because otherwise you just remain small you'll never get beyond i agree so so i think in a sense if you can build this team of stakeholders right. before you tackle these problems and you come in with a crowd versus versus an individual and there's you, alliances yeah and the alliances right. yeah. that actually gives you some power to actually take on um, this larger player so if i had to distill all that down overall the message of this paper is if you want to actually create a new market category with some of these social good spillovers like the organic industry overall you've got to reduce the differences between what you're doing and what already exists you've got to make it as small of a difference as you can because otherwise people will not adopt. That's right. But you also have to maintain specific clarity on what empirically is differentiable about about your product, differentiable. And I would say that that might be the toughest challenge for an entrepreneur because all of a sudden you start to grow and you see another shiny ball bounce across your yeah. your vision well, and you can lose, you can lose focus. Yeah. Well, that, so, that, that's the micro literature. That's not right. No, no, yeah, but, yeah. I, but I'm talking yeah, about yeah, yeah. but but all these things are real traits of human oh, beings, yeah, right? Oh yeah, sure, sure, right. Sure. And, and I'm just trying to and, take and this. actually that's a great segue into into the but. Right. I would say that's the big lesson of the paper. But 
<laughs> know that when you do that, the identity of the thing you loved that you and your friends all created together is going to become almost by definition less special and it's going to get blurry. Yeah. It's going to inherently uh, not be as much of the true believer kind of thing you had going. I mean, it's going to get dis- dis- uh, diluted. diluted. Yes. But, like but I would say though, that that change though is still better than yes. living a week ago. Yeah. And that's actually uh, some things I'm working on now. Like I've got a paper called green to gone where it's uh Showing you know, a lot of these entrepreneurs in the green space fail. That's right. But we're better off for it. Right. If you want to turn uh, an aircraft carrier, yeah. it takes a little bit of time. That's and it's right. a couple degrees and a lot time. of cannon fodder, unfortunately. <laughs> 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 Which is why I'm an academic and not an entrepreneur. Uh, so that's it. That's, uh, that's what we got for you this week. That's, I love uh, it. So again, check out these papers, uh, Organization Science, Market Mediators, and the Trade-Offs of Legitimacy. Uh, first author is Brandon Lee, also with Sean Hyatt and Mike Lonsbury. Wonderful paper, just fun to read, actually. And uh, I think this is one that anybody could pick up and read and actually enjoy because it's telling a story. Uh, and then uh, Matt Johnson and Stefan Schaltiger, Entrepreneurship for Sustainable Development. That one's forthcoming in Entrepreneurship Theory and Practice. And that's the one that uh, comes with a case of German beer. Tell you what, I'm hoping they're going to provide us with some German beer for talking about. No, I, I would have talked about it anyway. I love these. Uh, I love these guys. I love their work, and uh, they're they're wonderful scholars. So, uh, anything, anything, final thoughts on this topic, Brad? No, I, actually, I think that it was very insightful, and I, I do think that we picked up a couple pieces of valuable information. I hope so. That that are actually practical. Well, I know, I know you've you've engaged in all sorts of startup activity <laughs> that that have more than an economic mission, and uh, right. and that's one of the things I, I love about you, and uh, and I I think this is something that. Uh, um, you know, when we can teach our students and when we can help other entrepreneurs who are trying to impact environmental and social issues, but also make a living for themselves, because uh, it's really tough to do these things if you're not able to eat. That's right. And uh, change the world. I mean, and, and it's, change it's, the world, it's, yeah. it's such a great not way to Not to be go. too cliche, but uh, it's the only thing I have uh, much, uh, what somebody say, uh, somebody told me how grumpy I was the other day. I mean, I'm not grumpy about this. This is something I actually maintain hope in. And uh, I think it's, it's, it's where the change is going to come. At least I hope so. Yeah, and I totally agree with you, and I, I think that you selected two great papers today. Well, that's very uh, good. The other thing that I'd like to These guys wrote them, ha- have our uh, listeners understand is we're going to throw a slide up at the end of the podcast. If you'd like Jeff or, Jeff or I to address a topic, email us at the emails provided. Absolutely. And uh, we'd love to, to talk about some of your issues and something that's pertinent. And if there's a way that we can distill something for you that would actually provide value yeah. in, in your venture, yeah. um, just let us know. We'd really love it if uh, entrepreneurs wrote in and said, hey, you know, I, I, I'm more curious what the literature says about this. And, uh, For sure. I'll do my best to go pull up. And, uh, and we're really excited. We have a couple of, uh, I don't want to give away too much, but we have some really cool guests coming up. So it won't always just be Brad and I talking about this stuff. And we're going to bring in guests. We're going to bring in guest entrepreneurs, guest academics. And, you know, you, we're easy to find. Go to the Deming Center for Entrepreneurship at the Lead School of Business at the University of Colorado Boulder. Uh, email us directly. Uh, email the Deming Center. It'll get to us. And let us know your suggestions and questions. Perfect. Well, thank awesome. you. Brad, hey, day. let's go. Uh, let's go try that uh, ginger beer she talked about. Uh, I'm in. I want to go have the really strong one now that uh, we won't be talking on the air anymore. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks again. Thank Look you. Look forward to talking to you next time. Bye. Bye.